Well, it's good to be with you this evening as we come together and we, we remember on this Good Friday, Jesus' death and suffering on the cross in our place. And this the Good Friday service holds a kind of unique place in the Christian calendar. Right? Like, as Christians, we are, we are gospel people. We are good news people by and large. But in order to fully appreciate good news, we need on occasion to remember the bad news. I just thinking about the weather outside today and how beautiful it is, and it kind of struck me how much different 50 degrees feels in April than in, say, like September. Like in April, coming out of a long, dreary winter, that 50 degrees feels so wonderful. The we appreciate the sunshine and 50 degrees of April all the more for having gone through the dark and dreary winter. And that, in a sense, is what Good Friday offers. Good Friday is a chance to feel the weight and the consequences of our sin, to feel the brokenness of the world, to feel kind of the darkness it resulted in the Son of God being crucified. So that, so that when we get to Sunday, we appreciate the light of the resurrection all the more. So tonight, that's what we want to do. We want to remember. We want to remember that Jesus, that the Son of God, came to earth for us. That He was suffered. And he was killed. And like our sin, your sin, my sin, it's why the Son of God died. And so because of that, the, the tone of tonight's service will be a more sober and somber and reflective than a, a typical service. And so when we dismiss at the end, we'll kind of I invite you to leave quietly and meditatively, like focusing on what Jesus did on our behalf. Let's pray. Father, we, we praise you, we thank you for this time to gather and to remember, to remember what Jesus did for us in coming to earth, not only in suffering and dying on the cross for our sins. That's why we remember that sacrifice. Help us to be amazed anew at what a great gift you've given us in Jesus, what a great sacrifice you made in sending Jesus. Would it motivate us to bring glory to your name and to worship you? In Jesus' name, amen.
Jesus, you are good. We just sang and we remember that tonight. In Psalm 22, verses 1 through 8, we read this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned at the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors Put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. So as on Good Friday, Jesus hung on the cross. Some of his very last words were from this psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's perhaps no clearer picture of the anguish that Jesus went through on the cross than those words. The physical pain of the cross would have certainly been excruciating. It would have been emotionally devastating to have the people hate you and have your followers abandon you. But about those agonies, Jesus didn't Say a word. Of all the words Jesus spoke on the cross, the only words that expressed anguish over what he was going through were these words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the anguish those words expressed was not rooted in physical pain or in the pain of being rejected by men. The one source of pain that made Jesus cry out was the pain of being rejected by God. As Jesus hung on the cross, all our sins are placed on him. And because the eyes of the Father are too pure to look on evil, he turned away from the Son. That perfect Relationship that had existed from eternity past between the Father and the Son is broken. The only begotten, deeply loved Son was forsaken by the Father. And that alienation from the God, from God, from the Father, is what caused Jesus to cry out. Because of the sin placed on Jesus, he experiences that alienation, and it causes Jesus to cry out with these words. But because these words had become so associated with Jesus on the cross, we can forget easily that these words were first written not about Jesus' experience on the cross, but they were first written by David. David writes them about his more common experiences of being forgotten and feeling forgotten and forsaken by God. Like, we don't know exactly what was going on in David's life when he wrote this, but whatever the situation was, like, I find it incredible right, that, that David, right, the David, right, the David who the Bible calls a man after God's own heart, the David who was specially chosen by God to be this model king for his people, right, that that man would go through times of feeling forsaken and abandoned by God. 
where he could say to God in the words of the psalm, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. And so if David, who had one of the closest relationships with God that we see anywhere in the Bible, if he had moments like this where he felt forsaken and abandoned by God, it shouldn't surprise us if we have moments where we feel that way as well. It should not catch us off guard when we have moments where we feel that God is indifferent toward us. Where we feel that God is not answering our prayers. Or that God doesn't care about what we're going through. And having those feelings at times, feeling that way doesn't make you or us a bad Christian. We don't have to suppress those feelings and hide them from God. But as much as we may feel those things sometimes, at the end of the day, the fact of the matter is, like, it's not true. God is not indifferent towards us. God does care about what we're going through. God does hear our prayers, even when it doesn't answer the way, the way we may prefer. And the thing about David, like, in all the Psalms that he expresses emotions like this, and there's a lot of them where he expresses these feelings of feeling rejected and forsaken, wondering God is. In all those Psalms, he always comes back to a place of expressing trust in God and remembering what God has done for him. Like, even from the depths of his despair. And so the key for us, then, is we walk through seasons of feeling forsaken by God. If finding ways to remind uh, ourselves of God's love for us. Of God's care and concern for us. And there's no greater reminder of that than Jesus' death on the cross. The promise of Good Friday is that not only did Jesus die for you, but that whatever you're going through, he can relate to you. If you are feeling forsaken and rejected by God, the events of Good Friday are an invitation to remember that Jesus was forsaken on your behalf. That God has not forsaken you. That on the contrary, he cares about you so deeply that he sent his Son, to die in your place. No matter like, how far you may feel from God at times, Jesus' death on the cross is an invitation for us to run to the presence of God, confident that because of Jesus, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Instead of wrestling with feelings of despair and rejection on your own, the invitation is to run to God with them, to be honest with God about them, and to let his love for you in Jesus be a constant reminder that you are not forgotten, that you are not rejected, that you are not forsaken. Let the cross of Jesus remind you that because the Son were forsaken, you are forgiven. I pray. Father, we thank you again for your love for us and that you sent Jesus so that we are not forsaken. That Jesus, you were forsaken so that we are not. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Stayed here.
hear the word of Isaiah 53. As we read this, just be aware, when you hear, the, when you hear he, the he is referring to prophesying about Jesus. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely, He took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offering and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoiled with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So this chapter, Isaiah 53, is one of the clearest descriptions of what takes place on Good Friday from a theological perspective, despite the fact that it was written 700 years before the coming of Jesus. It's one of several passages in Isaiah that are referred to as the suffering servant songs. And in each of these passages, God, speaking through Isaiah, talked about his servant. So in the passage we just read, we hear, My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. And in each of these songs, Isaiah describes the suffering that the servant will endure. 
just listen again to a few of these verses. He, Jesus, was despised and rejected by mankind. He was a man of suffering, familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid, hide their faces, he was despised. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was oppressed and afflicted. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. So these verses written some 700 years earlier like, find their fulfillment in Jesus' death on the cross. It's on the cross that Jesus was despised and rejected by mankind. It was on the cross that he bore our suffering. It was on the cross that he was pierced and crushed. And as Christians, I think we do a pretty good job of thinking about and appreciating what Jesus did for us. We know that Jesus came to suffer and die in our place. We know and we appreciate the what of Jesus' actions. But I fear we don't always spend enough time reflecting on the why. Why did Jesus need to come and suffer all these things? Like, sure, we acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. We acknowledge that, I guess, because of our sinfulness, that Jesus had to come and be crucified. But then in our day-to-day actions, we don't always act like our sins are that big of a deal. We say things like, I was just having a bad day. Or I made a bad choice. I couldn't help it. That's just how I am. It's just a little mistake. What's the big deal? But this passage tells us what the big deal was. And what strikes me the most is the universal language that Isaiah uses. Isaiah says that the servant was rejected by mankind. All of it. Not a certain group of really bad people, but all of mankind. He was pierced for our, all of our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Like when Jesus, when Isaiah said that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities, like we must see and understand and accept that like each of us, every single one of us, it's included in that hour. Your sin, my sin, is the reason the Son of God was crushed and pierced and rejected. So the question is, do we really believe that? When we do something that we know is sinful, when you sin, do you believe that because of that sin, Jesus needed to be crushed and pierced? Do you feel the weight of the fact that that sin the rejection of Jesus? Or do you weigh the badness of your sin based on how much trouble it got you in? Or how much harm it caused you? Every person who's ever lived bears responsibility for the sufferings and rejection that the Son of God endured. That includes you, that includes me. We all have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Which is what makes verse 10 all the more astounding. Verse 10 reads, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Right. Ultimately, the reason that Jesus came and suffered, all that he suffered on the cross, is because it was the Lord's will. There was nothing we could do to deserve to have Jesus to come and suffer all he did for us. We could never be worthy of Jesus dying in our place. 
But he came because it was the Lord's will. And it was God's will for the Son to be crushed because he loves us so much that he desired to make a way for our sins to be dealt with. And the only way for that to happen was for the sinless Son to be rejected, despised, crushed, and pierced. So that by his wounds, as Isaiah says, we could be healed. But to fully appreciate the glory of what God has done for us in Jesus, we first need to grasp the darkness of our sin. Our sin is not something to minimize or to downplay. But our sin is also not something to hide or pretend like it doesn't exist. Both of those things end up minimizing the significance of what Jesus did on the cross. Instead, the events of Good Friday, the Good Friday service is an opportunity to look our sin square in the face and to see the consequences of it first, to see how awful it is, but then to confess and to repent and then to be blown away anew by the grace of God. That He would send His sinless Son to be crushed in our place. That He would send His Son to be pierced and crushed and rejected for us. To bear our iniquities so that we might be forgiven and healed. Should I get? 
Jesus, we thank you that your wounds have paid our ransom. That by your wounds we are healed. Pray in Jesus' name. In John 19, we read this. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look! I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and the officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Jesus tried to set Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jewish leader kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, Take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldier took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is Golgotha. There they crucified him. The last Sunday, we celebrated Palm Sunday, where the Jews in Jerusalem celebrated Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem as their coming king. They shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. It's remarkable then, like how much can change in five days. On Sunday, Jesus was praised with cries of, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel. And five days later, on Friday, Jesus is condemned to death with cries of, crucify him. And we have no king but Caesar. So the question is, what happened that made the crowds turn on Jesus so quickly? What made the crowds go from praise to condemnation in such little time? And the answer, I think, ultimately is rooted in the crowd's expectations of Jesus. On Palm Sunday, that the crowds thought they were welcoming a king who would expel the Romans and lead the Jewish people back to self-rule. But as the week progressed, Jesus made no move to gather an army to overthrow the Romans. Instead, he spent the time teaching, and he criticized the Pharisees and the religious leaders, but he didn't say much of anything about the Romans. In fact, one of the few things he did say about the Romans 
during that week was, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and God what is God's. He showed no interest in setting up an earthly kingdom. And because of that, the people quickly became frustrated with Jesus. And when it became clear there was nothing of earthly value to be gained in following Jesus, the people quickly turned on him. Jesus does not and never has made an offer of earthly power to his followers. But many people come to him, even now, looking for earthly success and power. But when they don't find it, they quickly bail on Jesus and look for power in other places. So the question is, why do you follow Jesus? Why do you sing his praise? If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, what is your motivation? Is it because you think singing his praise will bring you some sort of benefit or power here on earth? Because it won't. Or do you follow Jesus because you believe he is the king of the universe who, despite the fact that he is the king of the universe, came to earth to die on a cross and who calls all his followers to take up their cross and to follow him. When we read the Bible all the way to the end, it's clear that Jesus wins. That Jesus reigns and will always reign as king of the universe. But Good Friday is a reminder that we live in an in-between state. What some have called the already and the not yet. Jesus' kingdom has already come when he came to earth. But it's not yet fully realized. And while we live in the not yet time, things will not go perfectly. It may look at times like the cause of Jesus is defeated. It may look like following him is pointless. It certainly looked that way if he hung on the cross. And the call to take up our cross and follow him is a call to self-denial and self-sacrifice that will not make sense to a watching world. And it will at times, like as we carry that cross, feel more like defeat than victory. In verse 12 of what we just read, we read that after talking with Jesus, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. He became convinced that Jesus was not worthy of death. But then Pilate faced the pressure of the crowd and he had to make a choice. Did he act on what he believed to be true about Jesus? Or did he sacrifice what he believed about Jesus in the name of earthly power? And verse 16 gives us the devastating answer. John writes, Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. Pilate chose earthly power over what he knew to be true about Jesus. If the Jews who were yelling for Jesus to be crucified did so because they chose favor with Caesar over following Jesus. Jesus was crucified because people chose to follow their own desires instead of following him. And of course, like that's nothing new. The very first sin with Adam and Eve in the garden. It took place because they wanted to follow their own desire and be like God instead of being obedient to God. All sin is us choosing to follow our own desire rather than being obedient to God. We choose self-glory and self-gain rather than obedience to Jesus. And tonight we get a chance again to remember that because of our sin, because of our desire for self-glory and our desire for earthly success, like the Son of God had to die. It's easy to look at Adam and Eve in the garden or to look at Pilate handing Judas over to be crucified. 
or to look at the Jews standing in the crowd yelling, crucify him. We're going to shake our heads in disgust and think, why would they do that? But the fact of the matter is, we are not better. Our sin leads us to make the same kind of choices. We need to feel the weight of those sins. Our sins are responsible for the crucifixion of the Son of God. We need to feel the weight of that. But the good news is, the story doesn't end there. Sunday is coming. And I hope you'll join us Sunday morning. We celebrate the fact that Jesus didn't stay dead. That Jesus conquered Satan and sin and death. But tonight's an invitation to remember that it's our sin that held him there. We're going to sing one more song. Then I'll, I'll come up and I'll dismiss us after that song. And like, My encouragement is this. Like, as we leave... God, I invite you to leave in quiet reflection, contemplating the weight of your sin, feeling how much your sins cost Jesus. And I invite you between now and Sunday to spend time in intentional confession and repentance for those sins. And then come back Sunday as we celebrate the fact that the cross was not the last word that sin was defeated, and that death was overcome. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for coming, for what you suffered on the cross on our behalf. We confess our sins. It's our sins that hold you to the cross. We feel the weight of that. But help us to not take our sins lightly. Help us to not trivialize our sins. But to see them, to call them what they are, to confess them, to turn from them, and to run to you in repentance. In Jesus' name, amen.
Father, help us to never forget, never take for granted the wonder of the cross. By your grace, we can draw near. Bless your name. We can be forgiven because of what happened on that cross. Will that never grow old? Will that never get tired? May we be amazed day in and day out at the wondrousness of the cross and what Jesus accomplished there. Jesus, thank you for your life and ultimately for your sacrificial death that we can be forgiven of our sins. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we go from here, would you go amazed anew at the wonderful thing God has done for you through the cross. You are dismissed. Thank you.